good to be here this morning. And now, if you would turn your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 13. So if you're able to stand, I would ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word this morning. May God bless the reading of his word. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 13. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Sharing suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, he'll also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You may be seated. Among all the great speeches... You may have heard some of them, but among all the great speeches of Sir Winston Churchill, one of the most famous ones and more remarkable ones was also one of the shortest ones. One. Here's what he said in October 29, 1941. And he said, you know, in his uh, in a fashion that only Winston Churchill could do, he says, never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. And nothing great or small, large or petty. Never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Churchill, of course, here was trying to instill in those uh, people uh, from England the, the perseverance. They're going through tough times. They're going through a lot of difficulty and trials. Uh, Nazi German was, Germany was coming and could destroy them. The possibility was there. And his goal then is to have them persevere. Instead of getting weaker and getting afraid of what's to come, to endure and to fight even stronger because of the threat that they see ahead of them. In a different situation, uh, he also said, We shall go on to the end. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing, and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island 
whatever the cost may be, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender, never surrender. He was calling the people of England to persistent fidelity to the cause of fighting that war and winning the battle. But long before Churchill, Paul was calling Christians, calling us, and of course the, the context in which we uh, read the word of God this morning, calling Timothy to do the same. Timothy was facing trials. He was about to face suffering and persecution as Paul was already suffering that. Uh, remember that the context of 2 Timothy is a pretty unique one. 2 Timothy is the last letter written by Paul. And we know that the, the tradition, we don't know, the scripture is not clear. We only have Acts to Acts 28. That's the first imprisonment of Paul in Rome. And that's probably the same imprisonment that we read in the books of Philippians and Philemon, the prison letters where he, and you can feel the tone of Paul, the way he talks about that imprisonment where he, he feels like he's going to be free from that imprisonment. And in tradition, the, the early fathers actually, if you read uh, Clement and Eusebius, which were uh, well-known for, for, of their forefathers, the tradition says that Paul actually got away of that imprisonment. He went to probably Spain, where he desired to go. And then when he comes back, he faces the second Roman imprisonment. And that's the one we believe that he, that's when we believe he wrote first and second Timothy. So this imprisonment was probably between 62 and 64, uh, probably a little bit before Nero, uh, Nero's death in 68. And uh, that's the tradition that Paul died under Nero in Rome during the second imprisonment. But the point here is that Paul is in the worst place he's ever been his whole life. Even the way he talks about it, when, uh, if you look at verse 9, he says, the uh, These trials for which I'm suffering bound with chains as a criminal. Paul was not a man who would drama dramatize things too much. He wouldn't, Paul was not the type of man who would speak too much of himself and, and try to paint his suffering in a way that people would pity him or, or try to feel bad for him. But the way he describes his imprisonment here shows to us how bad his situation was. It was so bad that people were pretending they didn't know Paul. Many of the Christians who had professed the faith in Jesus Christ, seeing what was going on with Paul in the second Roman imprisonment, they denied the faith and they abandoned Paul. We read that in the last verses of chapter 1 where he says, You're aware, Timothy, that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Uh, at the end of the, the letter, he mentioned other names who were also people who professed the gospel. They had a confession of faith. But as these trials are happening and persecution is increasing, things are getting harder. These people are now showing that their faith wasn't really the faith they professed to have. So Paul here comes to Timothy, his beloved son, the one whom he loved so much. We know that. We have two letters showing that love he had for Timothy. And he's begging Timothy. Please, do not be, don't turn to be one of these men. And of course, he knows that in chapter 1, he affirms, I, I know the faith 
that came from your grandmother, mother, and now through your mom, and, and now to you, that you are truly faithful to God. So endure trial. How? Being active. We see that in verse, if you go back to chapter 1, and I want to go through some items here in chapter 1 before I get to chapter 2. In verse 6 it says, for, for this reason, for the reason that you have this genuine faith that comes from your grandmother, your mother, and now it's in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That's the spirit that we have. And that's what Paul is reminding Timothy. Timothy, there will be trials. This life is filled with suffering. If there is one thing is clear, that there's one thing we know from Scripture is that we will face tribulation, each one of us, in different forms, in different ways. But John, in, uh, Jesus in John 16 says, In the world you will face tribulation. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 4, Paul writes, For when we were with you, with the Thessalonians, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. Paul is arguing with them saying this shouldn't be a surprise for you all of this that you're seeing happening to us right now is just what, what's expected I told you beforehand that we would suffer that we would go through persecution because of the fallen nature of this world Luke 9.58 and Jesus said to him foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head and Paul acknowledges all of this in chapter 1 saying, Timothy, trials will come, persecution will come. This is just the nature of this life. But I want you to stay strong. I want you to persevere. I don't want you to abandon your faith because of the things happening to you right now. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, but, but share in suffering with me. And, and that's my point with the sermon this morning, is to look at in chapter 2 of how Paul is then bringing these illustrations and exhortations and even encouraging Timothy through promises from the word of God so that we can endure in our faith and if anything work harder because of these trials and these tribulations we go through in life. So coming to chapter 2 Paul starts saying, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Everything starts with grace. Your life, your salvation is grace. We'll come back to this at the very end of the sermon. But how, does that, how do you express this grace in your life? And we'll see how Paul gets very practical here in chapter 2. Look at verse 3. Starting verse 3, he brings three illustrations, three imageries of what this endurance looks like in everyday life. He says, sharing suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The first picture here, as you face your trials, is the picture of a soldier. Does what is in the mind of a man who is in battle? A man who is deployed in war. When someone comes and, and, and you know pops up from one of those hills and one of those rocks with a gun pointing to you and starts shooting, do you turn back and you, you know, I, sh I should call my wife 
and make sure that, you know, that appointment she had this morning went well. Let me, let me check that first and then I'll continue the battle. No, that's not what you do. You, you need to focus and you need, all you have in mind at that point is what strategy, how can I follow the orders of my commander so that the mission can get accomplished and that I can be safe after this, protect my, my country, protect, protect my family, protect the man in this mission and then go about the other things in my life. So that's the first aspect Paul brings to Timothy. In a war, through endurance, uh, in, a, in, in a scenario of war, and, and preaching the word, and, and going after the principalities and powers of this world, we need to endure focusing, being focused in the right mission that we have received from our Lord Jesus Christ. But he doesn't stop there. He also mentions the second imagery, the, the picture of an athlete. He says, an athlete, verse 5, is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. What is the idea here? Not only that a man who's facing trials and tribulations has to be focused in the mission, but his, this man also has to compete according to the rules. He has to... Uh, be honest and, and carry integrity in what he does. Uh, the picture Paul has here is probably the, the picture of the Olympics, which was parallel to uh, the same time when Paul was in prison. All those things are taking place. And people knew very well that the Olympics had rules. And if you did not follow the rules of a certain category that you're competing for, you would not get the prize. If you're running and you just realize that the finish line is on the other side, and instead of doing the whole loop, you decide to just cut through the grass and get to the finish line, you may get there first, but you're not going to receive the crown. You will not receive the prize because you did not compete according to the rules. So Paul is saying, when we're going through tribulation, when you're going through suffering this life, do not think that you can lack on your integrity. And isn't that something common to, to our lives. All these things that Paul is saying are very practical. He's not saying this just for saying, but this is exactly how we act. When we go through hard things in life, those are the days that we think twice before we're doing what we have to do. You have a long, you had a long day, and things didn't go according to your plans, and just bad news, and then you get home, you're tired, do I still have to be nice to my wife? the way I talk to her, or, you know, I'm already in pain, suffering, do I have to still do the things God told me to do, you know, I can just, you know, I don't have to do these things today, I, I have an excuse, I'm, I'm, I'm sick, or, and, and the point here that Paul is saying is, his, Paul absolutely is gentle in the way he treats people going through suffering, and there's empathy, we know that Christ suffered so that he could empathize with us in all things, but that does not imply that we should not do the work, but actually that should be an encourage, encouragement to us to do what is right. The last example then is the farmer. So if the soldier is the one who focused in the mission and he is going about the business, uh, the athlete is the one who competes with integrity and honesty with his attitude. Now the farmer is the hardworking farmer. He is diligent. If most of you here, I believe, work often in farms or you, you, you have a lifestyle that resembles some of that. And you know that if you have animals, plants, or anything 
that it's related to a farm, those are things that take daily effort. You can't just skip a day or two. Every day you have to go and feed the animals. You have to water the plants. You have to keep doing those things, otherwise things just go bad. And that's the idea here. Be diligent, constant in your work for the Lord. Don't think you can just slack for a day or two, but be serious about the business. So, focused as a soldier, integrity, uh, and honesty of an athlete, and diligence of a farmer, hard worker. Doing all these things for the Lord. And what is the incentive that Paul is saying? Why does the soldier focus in the mission this way? He focuses in the mission because he wants to please the one who enlisted him. That's what he's looking forward to. In Matthew 25, 21, Jesus says that this is what will be said to the ones who are faithful to God. At the very end, they will, they will hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much enter into the joy of your master that's what we want to hear as christians that's what we want to do to please our master so that in the last day we can hear from him well done good and faithful servant the athlete has a different motivation and of course these are all parallels they come together in this picture of endurance uh, through trials the athlete is the one looking forward to the crown reality that we see all around scripture at the end of the same letter paul writes I have fought the good fight. Again, he's facing death. He knows that the second imprisonment is probably the last thing he will see. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearance. That's the promise of God, not only for Paul, but all Christians, all the ones who stay faithful to God. That's what we're looking forward to. We live this life according to the rules, according to his love, so that we can receive the crown and be honored by him at the very end. We don't look to the treasures of this life, but we're looking to the reward that is still to come. The last one, the, athlete, the, the farmer. In 1 Corinthians 3.8, Paul writes, he who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. So there are wages to the labor we do in this life. Uh, Jesus could not be more clear than in Matthew 6, 19-21 when he says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is that the way we're living our lives? That as we face the trials of this life, are we looking forward to what is to come? To what we will receive if we endure this life with patience, with a spirit of power, love, and self-control? Which, by the way, this is just me here. I can see a parallel between this idea of power, love, and self-control in those three illustrations. I think the farmer being diligent, diligent every day, self-control. You don't do what you want, but you know it has to be done. You go after it. Love. If you love me, you keep my commandments. Love in Scripture is often related to fulfilling the commandments of God. That's how you love God and love people. And we see that with the idea of the athlete. You, you, you do the things of this life according to the love of God according to his word following the rules 
and the power, of course, which is this, uh, this, this wholehearted devotion for the mission that you see in the soldier. That's all he can think of. He knows what he is here for. He has purpose. And that's the power we have from the Spirit in love, in self-control, to go through the persecution, the trials, the suffering, whatever we have to go through in this life. That's the encouragement Paul brings us, is to think of those three imageries and see in our lives how we are uh, expressing those same ideas as we face trials, trials in our lives. And notice that right after this, Paul says, verse 7, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. To me, this is one of the best verses in the whole scripture, teaching us how to interpret the Bible. And, and I mean not, of course, the context here, he's saying, think over these images, think over these arguments, the message I just brought to you, and take it seriously, and, and really think about it. The word think here, if you were here a couple of Sundays ago, we went to Romans 1 and talked about the word news, the word news for the Greek word for mind, and we talked about the renewal of our mind, how that's the, the battle of the Christian, through the renewal of the mind, and we're often... And, and that's something that takes effort. Uh, this word, uh, mind, especially when it becomes a verb here, the thinking, it means to consider, to meditate, to really apply mental effort to something. And that's the way we should read scripture. What Paul is saying is, this is something if you just hear from me right now, you just read this letter, you put it aside, and then you go about your life. In two, three days, and you, it's gone. And you know that very well because... I'm not going to do it, but if I start pointing fingers and saying, okay, what was the sermon last week? I could even point to my, maybe I shouldn't say that, but we, we forget things. We forget things. And that's why Paul is saying, the way you study scripture is not just reading the text once. And I'm saying this because this is no way part of my job. Like, I, if I want to preach something, I study and I'm telling you. You can read the text several times and you still need more. You still have to dig into that to understand what it says and to really get the messages that, okay, now I know how to live this out. It takes effort, and that's what God wants for us. Uh, we see that all around Scripture, the thinking, the meditation, renewing our minds through the study of Scripture, really putting effort to it. And notice how to Paul, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, they're, they're together. There's no contradiction here. Think over what I say, put effort to it. Do the best you can to understand the word of God. For the Lord will. That's a perfect future. For the Lord will give you understanding and everything. Notice that the same reality applies to salvation as well. Uh, if you go to verse 10, he says, Therefore I endure everything, everything for the sake of the elect, so that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Isn't that a contradiction? Isn't that what we're being accused all the times as Calvinists? You know, oh, you believe in election, so why do you preach the gospel? To Paul, this is just so simple. I do my best. I study the word. I dig into scripture because the Lord promises that as I study, the spirit will help me to understand. I do the best. I suffer. The reason I'm here in prison, suffering all that I'm going through, in the worst place in the world, is because I want the elect to be saved. It's because I believe that through the preaching of the word, that as I go out and I do the best I can, 
trust in the promises of God that he has saved the elect before the foundation of the world. Uh, go back to v- chapter 1, verses, uh, chapter 1 starting in verse 9. Actually, starting in verse 8, he says, Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, he's telling this to Timothy. Uh, Share in suffering, join me as a soldier, as an athlete, as a farmer, for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. This is the reason we're suffering. Because we're saved and called to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. All grace, all the promises of God, all these things, the understanding, the salvation of the elect, all those things took place before the ages began. God had planned, God had established all things. And now Paul says, before the ages began, in which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Christian, you have all the grace you need in Christ. And it has given to you, it has been given to you before the foundation of the world. God has established and has purposed His love for you before the foundation of the world. And how do you see that love? It was there from before the foundation of the world, but it's been revealed to you through the person of Christ Jesus. On the cross, in the climax of time, when He came and He did the work, He died and rose from the dead. That's the seal. That's the, that's the picture. That's what you look for. That's what you look at. And you receive grace from that. You understand that because that took place, the grace of God is true in your life. And salvation is true. Christ is risen. The elect is out there. They will be saved. And therefore, I should do the best I can to study the word. Because I understand that as I study, the spirit of God truly gives me understanding. I should go and preach the gospel because I know that it's not up to me. But if God has elected a person... Nothing is going to stop. As Paul says, I'm bound by chains, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. It doesn't matter the suffering. It doesn't matter what's going on. As I preach the gospel, the grace of God that's there before the foundation of the world, revealed in Christ Jesus, is going to accomplish its purpose. And therefore, I beg you, Timothy, strengthen yourself by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. They have heard from me from the gospel and entrust this now that I'm gone. Do the job. You continue. Trust this to faithful men, like a soldier, like an athlete, like a farmer. Keep doing the work that has to be done. Pass this message of the gospel to the next generation so that, so that the war that has already been won in Christ can take place. We can carry the good news of the victory of Christ to the whole world as we bring the good news and as we endure through suffering. He says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Those things are perfectly, uh, perfect match. They work together. That's exactly how it is. We don't make neither of the mistakes. We don't work so hard thinking that by our works we can receive anything. But neither do we wait for the Holy Spirit to give us something if we don't study the Word. It's through trusting God, relying on the Spirit. God in doing the work that he blesses us and he says not only think over these things I said but remember verse 8 remember Jesus Christ 
risen from the dead, the offspring of David. And it's amazing how you can see the connection here between what he just described about the person of Christ and the hymn he'll mention at the very end of this passage, where the hymn starts with two positive statements. He says, if we have died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. So the promise here is to live as Christ lives, is to reign as Christ reigns. And notice that that's exactly how he describes Jesus. Remember Christ Jesus risen from the dead. He is the one who is alive. Life is found in Christ. He's risen from the dead. The offspring of David. What does that mean? What is he trying to say with the offspring of David? He is king. As David was king, he is the fulfillment of the kingship of David. David was actually just an illustration, a, a, a type of what Christ would be as the true king of the true spiritual and physical kingdom of God yet to come. So if we die, if we endure, we'll also live with the one who lives forever. If we endure as we endured, we'll also reign with him, the one who reigns forever. But remember, the context of this whole section, chapters 1 and 2, is Paul saying, Beware of those who say that they're Christians, say that they believe in the gospel, but when temptations come, when trials come, when the things of this life come and attack them, they seem not to care too much about the gospel anymore, and they left me here alone in jail. And that's why he brings now two warnings as well. Yes, it is true. If we die with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. But if we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. And, and this is a statement here that in modern Christianity, uh, it's easy for us to take as whatever we sin, whatever we do, Christ still loves us and we can do whatever we want. No, the context here, remember, two positives, the parallelism is clear. Two positives, two negatives. If we die, if we endure, if you show that you have a genuine faith, you will endure to the end. But if we deny Christ, he will deny you. If you are faithless, he is faithful to himself. And the word, the judgment that he has brought upon the ones who do not have faith, who are faithless, stands. And you will be condemned. That's the message here. And, and I believe we need that in our pulpits today. And, and the Christianity worries so much about, and again, we, we, can, we can miss the point going to, in all extremes, but we are responsible for living out our faith. Christ has given us grace and faith that comes from Him. It's all by grace. We live by grace so that we can now bear the fruits of the Spirit, live in the Spirit of power, love, and self-control. And uh, in the church, is there are people among us who, yes, they think they're Christians and they're not. How do we know? Do we love Christ? Do I die with Him? Do I endure with Him? Or I deny and I'm faithless? Or I live a life that doesn't seem to have any fruits. We need to check ourselves. For the Bible calls us to check ourselves. And see where we stand. So, how do we... Just This is my application and that's how we 
finish the sermon today, as I said in the beginning, coming back now to the very first verse of the passage we read, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Is this just moralism? Am I talking about just works? When we think about the soldier who is focused and the athlete who is working hard, uh, the farmer who is working hard and the athlete who is competing according to the rules. Are those things that, things that we have to do now on our own? Everything starts in verse 1. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The order here is that we do those things trusting first and foremost in the one who did all those things perfectly for us. Christ is the one who was per- the perfect soldier. He lived his whole ministry doing what the Father, the mission the Father had given to him. And he was the one who, when he was baptized in the Mount of Transfiguration, heard from the Father, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And through him, we find that same uh, pleasantness before the sight of the Lord, of our God. And of course, he was the one who competed according to the rules and he was the one who worked harder than anyone else so that we could receive grace through him and now through the grace we've received through Christ remembering him that he has risen from the dead all that he has done we find now the freedom not to live according to our sins but to exercise the faith he has bestowed on us living according to his word as a faithful soldier as a faithful athlete and as a faithful so may we trust in Christ. May we start looking to Him and trusting in Him and in Him alone. And from that faith, receiving the power, the love, and the self-control we need to go about the trials of our life. Christ is the one filled with grace, filled with truth. John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the source of all grace. We live by grace. We live through the person of Christ and what he has accomplished for us. Going back to John 16. In the world you will have tribulations. There's no doubt about that. But he says. I didn't read the first, the whole verse in the very beginning. And praise the Lord we have the rest of the verse. He says. But take heart. I have overcome the world. There is tribulation. But there is a Savior. There is a Christ. There is Jesus, and He is in heaven, and He gives us all the grace we need because He's full of grace and truth. And He gives to us as we come to Him, as we ask of Him. And He asks of you this morning, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you for how all we have is grace. We know that we are nothing apart from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for, through his works, we have received the joy, the, the kindness, the goodness, the patience all that we need to endure through the trials and tribulations of this life. Lord, we pray that this morning you'd strengthen us as we meditate upon the truths of your word. Help us to think, to really meditate 
to really put our minds around these things that we heard. Not to take them for granted, but to check ourselves and see if we're being faithful to you. Help us to endure. Help us to turn from our sins, to repent from the sins, from the areas in our lives where we have lacked in honoring you and in, 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 in reverence for you. And help us to trust in our Savior, knowing that it's not what we have done, but in Him we receive the grace we need to now, from now on forth, to do what is right and pleasing in your sight. And we pray for your blessing. In His name, amen.